With only one quarter of trade data available, we don't have much information yet on how China's economic stimulus measures post-COVID-19 will play out. Maybe there will be impact beyond the, let's say, two even two years. That's already longer than most people are talking about the schedule for recovery. Hou Song is a research fellow at the Paulson Institute, where he works primarily for Macro Polo, the institute's think tank. China was the first country to go through the pandemic, and also the first to come out on the other end for now. But it's not in the clear just yet. China began implementing stimulus measures back in late January, the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Chinese government decided to extend the Spring Festival holiday, the most important holiday of the year in Chinese culture, and also the busiest time to travel. The stock market also remained closed. They began to gradually ramp up the, uh, the, the support matters. Back in early February, it's more, mostly kind of like liquidity support because I think back then predominant thinking was kind of like the situation probably was really bad, but it probably will not last very long. Remember that these were the early days, and nobody had any idea how the virus would take down the global economy. The spread of the virus among major economies like United States, the EU, and Brazil changed everything. The nature of the shock and the nature of the growth challenge changed after that, and then they began to increase both border and new measures to support the economy. So how would you characterize China's stimulus measures so far? I would call that the current uh, matters could be uh, characterized as relief first and stimulus second, in the sense that the majority of the matters are kind of like relief in nature. For, for example, providing business with a temporary liquidity so they can cope with the revenue shortfall. We have seen similar matters to help like vulnerable households and, and also, for example, unemployed populations. In the meantime, uh, the stimulus components kind of like modest, especially in comparison with the 08 episode. I think there are good reasons for that. First is that just looking from the point of view of policy room, that right now Beijing has much more limited policy rooms in introducing a large stimulus. Back in 08, China was just uh, went through a like multiple year painful process of restructuring the uh, state bank system. As a result, at the time of 08, China was both financially and fiscally at a pretty strong position. So they have the room to really to introduce all those large stimulus. In comparison that China right now, the after basically a decade long of on and off stimulus, policy room is now much more reduced. There's also a difference in, in terms of challenge. Back in 08, although initially there was a lot of uncertainty, in early 09, basically at the end of the first quarter of 09, most people have, have the confidence that the worst part is would probably behind us. If you know that the worst part is behind and that recovery is ahead, it makes sense that you introduce some stimulus to uh, accelerate this recovery process. But in the meantime, that currently, although many people think that maybe second quarter probably will work and third quarter probably will not be that good, but maybe better than second quarter. But since uh, there's uh, still a lot of uncertainties, especially many experts now are warning that there may be a second wave coming in winter, the slowdown may actually last for much longer. 
given these uncertainties in the outlook of the pandemic, I think it will make more sense to adopt a wait and see approach. There are some positive development, for example, in the area of investment and the investment related industrial activities. We have seen that there has been a quite remarkable uh, recovery in those areas. And in the, also like, for example, in when you measure, for example, using unemployment rate, China's unemployment rate is widely known to uh, understate the true level of employment because it doesn't include all the unemployed migrant workers. But that said, and still from month to month change, you see that the March unemployment rate has dropped by 0.3 percentage point compared to the high point in February. So yeah, so even if, although the unemployment rate is kind of like a bias measure, but still from the month to month change, you see there are already some like positive de development. But in the meantime, there are also kind of like some worrying signs. For example, that although Beijing has introduced many uh, lending programs, some lend lending, especially lending program targeted at the small and medium enterprises, but so far, it seems that those programs have not been very effective in the sense that the majority of the new credit has, has, has went to uh, larger forms. For example, if you uh, based on the uh, bond issuance data since February, we can see actually 90% of the new issuance are by, large, are by uh, companies like have AAA rating or at least double uh, A plus ratings. So th those are really now the most vulnerable forms. So, but in the meantime, those, those really vulnerable, like the medium and small scale forms, and those really need the liquidity support. They still, I would say, they still haven't got uh, sufficient support. And if this continues, like, that's kind of like worrying because if forms continue to be cash constrained, they will scale back on hiring and investment. What about the breakdown between private and state-owned enterprises? Sure. Yeah, bank lending, bank lending is hard to tell because they only publish the aggregate data. But bond borrowing, there we have more data. We have more data on bond borrowing. It seems that the majority of the bond borrowing uh, are by state forms. So if that is kind of like indication, I would say that the majority of the new credit probably goes to a state sector. That's kind of like my guess. Foreign firms in China have a plethora of different business models. Some are in China simply to manufacture their products and then export them to the rest of the world, while some are there to sell to the China market. These are the in-China-for-China China firms. Those in-China-for-China China firms may be at an advantage here. I think first, because China is kind of like early in, early out, that China basically has managed to contain the pandemic much earlier than the majority of the, uh, the other economies. That, I, I think, would give, provide an advantage for those foreign firms that targeted at China's domestic market. For, for the export-oriented foreign form, I think they both now face the uncertainties of the uh, of the sh continuous shutdown of the global market, and also additionally, I think there's also a factor of the uh, 
exchange rate channel in the sense that many of the other Asian exporting economies like Vietnam and Korea, historically their currency tends to depreciate more compared to Chinese Yuan during crisis. And this time so far because of an unprecedented level of liquidity support provided by the major central banks, we have seen that the emerging markets has come now under less capital outflow pressure. So, which helps them to stabilize their exchange rate. So, so far, the exchange rate movement of emerging countries have been modest, but still, uh, in relative terms, that the most of the Asian exporting countries, their currency has depreciated by a slightly more than Chinese yuan. If this continues, or if the the, the, the depreciation gets larger, I think that probably constitute another disadvantage for China-based exporting forms. So by definition, financial stimulus is state-led. How do you think this will impact economic reform in China over the long term? I think, first of all, that because that uh, the majority of the uh, stimulus will have to be implemented either directly or indirectly by the state sector. So I think it's probably certain that in the, not this year, but in the coming years as well, we will see that the relative, the relative size of the state sector will expand. But that said, I think we also need to uh, pay attention to that size doesn't equal to strength in the sense that, for example, historically, we have seen many multiple episodes that the like the state sector, although temporarily they will benefit from the stimulus matters, but over time, their aggressive investment and borrowing during the stimulus period will, come, will become a drag in the longer terms because many of those uh, stimulus investment has not been very prudent or make business sense. So over the long terms, it actually kind of becomes a liability or rather than asset for the state sector. My guess this pattern probably will also play out this time. Although in the near term, that state sector will benefit greatly from the stimulus matters. But over time, that those like wasteful investment probably will come back to harm them. Yeah. So what does this mean for China's economic growth? Right now, initially, that in that the most discussion has been that post-COVID, there will be a V-shaped recovery. That basically, although initial the initial hit has been pretty bad, but in a few quarters, we'll manage to, uh, to recover to a pre-COVID state. However, I think that the general thing has shifted to that probably this will not be a one or two quarters, maybe longer, maybe one or two years. But I, I'm also thinking about maybe there will be impact beyond the, like say two even two years that's already longer than when most people are talking about the schedule for recovery this my observation is based on the historical fact that both after the late 90s Asian financial crisis and the 08 global financial crisis China's economy tends to underperform for multiple years after the initial crisis for example I think this is most obvious and in the uh, late 90s case. In the years after late 97, 98, the Asian financial crisis, Chinese economy has for like up to 2002, that basically for four years, China has been 
growth has been struggling at around something between uh, around 8%, basically. And that is actually significantly lower than China's growth rate in the years after 03. For example, between 03 to 08, in those five, six years, China's average growth was something like 12%. So yeah, I'm actually right now doing a research to see actually whether those historical episodes provide us any insights into really the longer term, like say four or five years growth outlook. The China Business Review podcast is a production of the US-China Business Council. You can learn more about what we do at uschina.org. Our music is by Taurus. Be sure to leave a rating and review if you enjoyed, and we'll be back soon.